God is our real father and our real mother, and that we are his children or her children, and that he or she loves us and is happy in our happiness. And there is no, you know, there is badness in the sense of missing the point. It's important to, to be clear on it. We talk about good and evil. It's really a kind of a mistake, I think, when we, when we talk in cosmic terms about the battle between good and evil. It's, it's too easy when we talk like that to, to put attention where it shouldn't be or to deflect attention away from where it needs to be. There is good and evil in that sense probably don't even exist really. There is remembering and forgetting. If we think of it that way, part of the world is remembering what it's there for, and part of the world is not. Which part are we with? Some people remember who they were born to be, and some people do not. Which are we? Or at what moment which are we? It's like that. And what you know, we get into things, it's like Master Kripal used to tell the story of Lord Krishna and Arjuna, that Arjuna had a bow, a mighty bow. This was, of course, the age of the warriors. And like King Arthur and his sword Excalibur, Arjuna had the bow Gandiva, which, because um, his weapon, the weapon was named. It was like you, you named your power objects, and that's what the, these weapons were. And Arjuna had taken a vow that if anyone insulted his bow, right, why anyone would take a vow like this is beyond me, but I don't live in the age of warriors, so I, I don't have the same preconceptions and worldviews that they have. But anyway, uh, he took a vow that anyone who insulted his bow, he would put to death. So someone did. And Arjuna began, started out to kill him. And Lord Krishna said, well, Arjuna, what are you doing? And Arjuna said, well, Master, I took this vow, and now I've got to fulfill the vow. It's my dharma. If I don't fulfill the vow, how will I live up to my dharma? And Lord Krishna says, well, just think. What will happen if you fulfill this vow? Who is going to be hurt? What's going to be the result of it? Is all the karma that's going to come from making people miserable because you have killed somebody because of this, is that going to be part of your dharma too? What do you think? And he thought about it and decided to forget it. It's whenever we do something, you know, we, we act, we have reasons that strike us as very important and real and so forth. The thing is, you know, if we do it in remembrance, if we do it, if it's part of the whole, if we are walking while doing Simran so that the destination keeps on moving toward us, that's one thing. If we are, you know, going counter to that, walking the wrong way, etc., it's another thing. So it's, it's important. Oh, Guru Kapal, the negative power trembles. And death also is nervous in front of whoever has caught hold of your finger. But James says, apologize to Kripal if your soul wants happiness. The negative power trembles and death is nervous because in reality, 
that love is the stratum, the substratum, the source out of which everything else comes. Judgment, which is what the negative power is, also comes out of love. It has no existence apart from love. When it exists by itself, it strikes us as negative. This is in the Anurad Sagar, and it's in the Kabbalah too. In the Kabbalah it says that when Din, D-I-N, the judgment aspect of God, one of the ten sephirah, is separated from the Godhead, the Ein Sof, that that Din then becomes dangerous and becomes close to what is called the other side, okay, what we call evil. It's not fundamentally different than anything else, it's just that that particular aspect, judgment, is so dangerous that when it exists by itself, it goes negative. And by judgment is meant not only what Sanchi called criticizing, you know, but finding fault and this and that, putting blame on people, but the whole business of assuming that because we can label something, we understand it. You know, we name something and ha, okay, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh, he's of this, he's of that. You know, oh yeah, he's a, he's a Hindu, he's a Mohammedan, etc. So we know all about them, you know. We, we, know we, we think this is how. We don't necessarily have to take it seriously anymore. Oh, that, like that, we think. It's, it's, it's also an aspect of judgment. And these are ways in which the negative power works through those who want to let him and who have forgotten what they were there for. But the thing is that this kind of thing is so paltry, so negligible, so nothing, so itsy-bitsy when compared to love, that it trembles. As soon as love begins to be there, the negativity begins to shrink. You know, it melts like the Wicked Witch of the West. It's just, it, it disappears because love is too much for it. And this is what, when Gandhi and Martin Luther King taught the power of nonviolence, they were tapping into this. This is an ancient, ancient teaching, you know, ahimsa is called, nonviolence, one of the heads in our diary form. And it is, it, it means exactly this, that love is stronger than negativity. Love is stronger than power. If you like, love is more powerful than power. Because power derives its meaning from love, it's not the other way around. So that it's like, it's like anything. If you take anything and you separate something out from it, and the thing that's separated out from it has an existence of its own, but if it's once it's confronted with what it came from, it wants to go back to it. But the thing that it came from does not want to become it, you see. That is why when other things being equal, and we are able to give full scope, to the love that is in us, that love will win out every time. The negative power trembles in front of it. It is strong, that's why. There's a, someone once wrote that um, in connection with, with the idea of nonviolence, what Gandhi calls satyagraha, or, or force of truth, which is the same idea. That, you know, what would happen if, um, you know, armies came against it? And the person said that, um, 
he was reminded uh, of the time when the train was first coming through England, and they were building railroads through farmland. And someone said, but, but what happens if, if, if the train confronts an angry cow? You know, it's like, it seems like the power is over here, but in fact, it isn't. The power is where it doesn't necessarily seem to be. And everyone thinks, you know, it's like, you know, the person who has the guns, the person who has the weapons, the person who has the jack boots, the person who um, is scary and big and loud and all that stuff, they always win, you know, you think like that. But do they? You know, if you think, you know, where are they now, as Master used to say? Who remembers them? Who cares about them? You know, it's like um, they can make things happen as long as everything holds together. As long as they can keep total control over everything, then everything will proceed the way they think it's supposed to, and, and it will look as though they can make it happen. But if in their hearts people don't want that, you see, if people don't want to do what they want them to do, as soon as they have a chance, they'll stop doing it. On the other hand, if we love somebody and we do you know, what he tells us to do because we love him, and because we care about him, and because we want to please him, not in a fearful kind of way, but because it gives us pleasure to give pleasure to someone we love, then, you know, what on earth could prevail against that? Who could defeat that? See, that is why, I mean, things like wars and anything involving force, control, power, is basically a missing of the mark. It's part of the fortress of deceit. It's one of the walls of sand. It does not last, it cannot last. And apologize to the merciful. The thing is, if we want happiness, if we want happiness, we have to understand the way things really are. And that involves like an apology. Kapal is the merciful, and when we have not been merciful, it's like we owe the merciful an apology. I'm sorry, I messed up. I missed the point. I sinned, in other words. I missed the point because I didn't remember that what counts is not being right or getting it right, or this or that, but being loving, but forgiving and loving and letting the wind show us that the destination comes to us by itself if we remember who we are. Because that's what Simran is. Simran means remembrance, and Simran is given to us for the purpose of remembrance. Okay? It's not a magical formula. But the act of remembering, which can be done in other ways, Master Kapal used to say that if you do anything with full attention, then you are remembering who you are at that time too. It's like we do Simran all the time, but if anything we do requires full attention, uh, it's not a question of do we do that or do Simran. It's like not that they, they don't fight each other. It's like if we put our full attention into anything, it is as though we were doing something. 
the two things are not different. Psychologically, it's the same state. It's called remembrance. And it means that if we do that, that our angle of vision will be different. And we will see from the point of view of God. So to get to that, you know, to, to it's like we have to... This is the repentance that Jesus talked about in John the Baptist in the Bible. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've often said this too, that repent in the Greek, the word that is in the New Testament, metanoiate, means turn around. Okay, change your mind, Master Kapali used to say. We use that phrase a lot, but he, he would say it very with great emphasis. Change your mind. It needs to be changed. It's not working right the way it is. You've got to change it. Turn it around so it faces in a different direction, and then you'll see what you're supposed to see, and you'll move how you're supposed to move, and you'll go where you're supposed to go. And that's what, that's what we call the path. Okay? It's moving in that way at that time. So... The apology to Kapal is, takes that form. I mean, that's what the apology is, is the turning around, repenting. Repentance really, the turning around. We have been given a lot. You know, all of us, whether we are formally initiated or not, the fact is, we have come into the Master's presence one way or another, you know, the grace of God is the most wonderful thing in the universe. To have it is the most incredible thing we can have. We must live up to it. I want to conclude by reading Sanchi's words, um, which are right after. I've been reading the bhajan from the coming spiritual revolution. Uh, Sanchi's introduction to that. And right after... Those words were printed. Sanchi wrote this. Dear ones, the great Satgurus left their home of permanent peace and happiness and came into this burning world for the forgetful sinners like us. Working so hard, day and night, they brought the people of different kinds into the gardens of their satsang. They protected us and took care of us like tender plants. We are the forgetful jivas. Jiva means bound soul, soul who thinks it's a doer. The soul thinking that it does is a jiva, and to be a jiva is to be forgetful by definition. They gave us the holiest, purest, and simple teachings of the meditation of Surat Shabbat. They put us on the path of spirituality. Every day, giving the water of satsang, sprinkling the drops of their gracious sight, they made our burning and dry hearts green. They brought us close to each other by sewing us in the silken thread of love and made us brothers and sisters. They made us the members of their spiritual family and explained to us that we are the children of the same father. So our relationship is very firm here and also in the beyond. 
in very forceful words. The great Satguru explained to us that this world is a traveler's inn. No one has ever lived here forever, nor is anyone going to live here forever. Remember that you have to leave this place. So make your life and your earnings clean. Make the Satguru and the fear of him, and here Sanchi, when he uses fear, we know what Sanchi says about fear, that it's the greatest sin of all, but what he's talking about is the respectful awe when you're in the presence of someone who is much greater than yourself and you know it, you recognize it. And we've, many of us have experienced that. Make the Satguru and the fear of him dwell in your heart. Make room for his love in your heart. Spare at least 10% of your time and use it for the meditation of Shabbat Nam. Make meditation an important part of your life so that with the grace of the Master and under his guidance, you may reach your true abode and have his darshan in abundance. Dear ones, we have spent all our life beautifying our body. Now the time has come to pay attention to our soul. The soul has been crying, but we never pay any attention to her. We never pay any attention to cleaning her. Today, on this holy occasion, which is the, the birthday of Kapal, this, this, these words were first written, 1997, the last birthday message that Sanchi gave, and remembering the beautiful form of the Master, let us all take this vow, make this promise, that from now on we will spend as much time in meditation as possible, falling at the feet of the Master with all humility and with a true heart. Let us all pray that he may give us such understanding and strength that from this day we may understand the long-forgotten work of doing Simran as the most important and personal work and start doing bhajan and simran. Dear ones, today is a very auspicious opportunity to pray to the Master and ask him for his blessings and grace. We should clean the soul with the broom of simran and with meditation beautify our souls. Apologize for our faults. Who knows whether we will get such an opportunity again or not. I can assure you that if our efforts are determined and our faith in the Master is strong, definitely the destination will kiss our feet and will welcome us. So let us appreciate the time and not let it slip out of our hands. Let us apply ourselves in cleaning our soul so that we may make our birth successful and earn the pleasure of Hazur Kripal, the James Singh.
Someone want to sing above you?
Life is destitute. Come, Kirpalji, we wait for you, we wait for you. Oh, my giver, we are the sinners. Do not look through our papers. The boat is adrift. Take it across. Come, beloved, listen to the request. Listen to the request. True is your love. We have only your support. We are the dirty ones. Clean us, clean us. The soul has to do your darshan, but she is embarrassed. O giver, you forgive, you are the forgiver, you are the forgiver. This is the call of a jibe. The heart string is resounding. The world is false. Life is destitute. Come, Kripalji. We wait for you. We wait for you. You want to do that? Yeah, we're getting a... Yeah, maybe at the end, Terry. Okay. Days and the minutes and the hours seem to fly by, and we're now in the final portion of our time together. And it's a great, it's been such a great blessing. And um, and to sit in the Master's remembrance is a great blessing. Through satsang, he creates the yearning within us to do the devotion of God. 
In the satsang, the flow of mercy is pouring into you. So get the fullest benefit from it. Weed out imperfections one by one. That is what I have told you to do. When the soil is weeded, it is ready for the seed to be sown. Then true growth can begin. If small pebbles and rocks are not removed, the seed may sprout, but it will not bear fruit. So I'm glad that you have a better appreciation of the value of the satsang meetings, which are always inspiring and helpful and beneficial. As Master's grace and love is radiated in abundance therein, and all those present receive the life impulse from the Master power working overhead. For it is in these group meetings the entire congregation assimilates the overflowing grace of the Master. And occasionally, even the radiant presence of the Master is experienced. Such meetings have a deep, inspiring significance, and therefore they should be cherished in all loving devotion. I wanted to read a little bit and discuss a little bit this morning about love. Some of the lessons of love. Here are a few paragraphs from Master Kripal. Love one another for the Master's sake. If you love for the sake of the man concerned, this will stand in the way of your love for the Master. So love God as God resides in every heart. Love all for the sake of the soul and the controlling power that keeps the soul in the body, not for the body itself. Then you will be saved. If you serve others from the same level, then that is service to God. There is only one remedy for the discard, discord and inharmony, and that is love. He who has not mastered its secret can never hope to receive, be received in the court of the Lord. It is the beginning and the end of spirituality. He who understands love and its true nature, who makes and moves by its light, shall, as two and two make four, attain the Lord. While we are walking on the path of righteousness, we discover that we are far from being perfect. Perfection comes slowly and requires the hand of time. It does not matter to what faith one belongs, as long as we love God and our fellow men. For the passport to the kingdom of God is the love we have in our hearts. We are students of psychology or metaphysics and are well-versed in the laws of mind. But if we lack love and compassion for our fellow men, then we are still outside the kingdom of God. It is what we are that opens the door of our soul to God and makes us his channel of blessing and help to others. So we have been put on the way to God because of our love for God. Learn ye therefore to love all creatures as yourself. Live in and for the love of all. And the Lord of love shall reward you manifold in return for the sake of his own divine love. 
That is his law, eternal and immutable. Try to cultivate a loving and a living faith in his goodness, and nothing shall stand in your way on this path. Along with giving us the lessons and the discourses on love and the Sangha, um, the masters come and in their physical form we observe um, what it means to be a loving soul. And um, I'd like to relate a couple stories about that um, first with Sanching. Um, <clears throat> the experience of conveying the initiation instructions for Sanchi was one of um, continual um, uh, education. Um, unlike Master Kripal, where we would send our applications, this when I was initiated, we'd fill out an application and go to India after you're on a diet for three months. And in, in the application, there were five different requirements that you had to meet, which we all are familiar with earning your own livelihood and being familiar with the path of going to satsang, um, being on the diet for three months and other things also. So the, the applications would go to master and then he would send back the response, which was invariably always that the person was accepted. With Sanchi, the responsibility was put onto the representatives to get to know the person that is being initiated, make sure they meet all these requirements, still fill out the application. But if the representatives were satisfied that they met the requirements and they were authorized to approve them, and then the names would be sent to Sanchi by wire prior to um, uh, the initiation, the date, the date and time of the initiation would be communicated to Sanchi in the name of the person in advance. When he was on tour, oftentimes then things would change and there would be people wanting to come that didn't meet some of the requirements and yet there would be yearning and, and it became a little more difficult to kind of <laughs> decide. So, there was one situation that happened when Sanchi was in Shamas and I was interviewing some of the people and everything was set to go for the initiation the next morning. And there was one person who um, came forward and said, well, someone else who is applying for initiation I can't understand how they got approved because I'm not sure they were telling the truth and they said something that was um, um, a concern. It was definitely out a major thing that was uh, a problem. And so I didn't know what to do with it. I asked Russell and he said, well, you should tell Papu and he should relate it to Sanchi and Sanchi should decide. So. Um, as we went over for the evening satsang. And this, this person that came forward was actually being quite sincere because they felt that whatever Sanchi wanted to do was fine, but they felt guilty because they didn't know what to do and they were more asking the question and I didn't know what to do. So invariably the matter went to Sanchi and um, 
And so we um, were walking over to the meditation hall and Papus were, had talked to Sanchi about it. And he said, Don, you should have this person come forward and then come and see Sanchi after the satsang. So I made the announcement after the satsang, the person came forward and trying to be very lighthearted. <laughs> After announcing the initiation is going to be tomorrow and everything, I said, oh, by the way, we need to see, and there was a couple other people for other things. And so we went over to Sanchi, to the house, the master's house, and and so, and I just said, well, there's a couple things that have come up and just a question about the initiation tomorrow, and uh, master would like to talk to you. So... And it was such a lesson. It was such an amazing lesson of the master's love. If someone really does have yearning, if it's their time to come to the master, then no matter what condition we come in, he will reach out and he will embrace us and he will forgive everything. And, uh, and as we progress on the path, that's the magic of love. Love endures all things and accepts all things. And not only that, but it brings us together in one loving family. And recently I've seen in Master's writings how many times the message of love unifying, of love unifies all, love beautifies all. How many times that just is coming up now that I've been thinking about this. And and the same thing happened, another instance was with Master Kripal when he was coming on tour in 1972. At that time there were um, a number of representatives throughout the United States that conveyed the initiation instructions, but there were two primary representatives, um, Mr. Khanna on the East Coast and Rina Serene on the West Coast. And there was a Rouhani Satsang Corporation on the West Coast, and um, but there was a different organization on the East Coast. And in the months prior to the Master's tour, I was living and taking care as a um, caretaker of the hospitality house in Anaheim, and got to know Reno real well and got to look over his shoulder and all the trials and tribulations of being master's representative and and without knowing it was um, being schooled I guess for future responsibilities which never remotely crossed my mind but there was oh, the, the point being there was always a little bit of disharmony between Reno and Mr. Connor in terms of who was organizing what part of the and so there's kind of like the East Coast people and the West Coast people. And I remember seeing Reno struggle with this. And, and of course, being new initiates on the path, it just seemed like it'd be so simple to fix it, you know. But there was a dynamic. The first thing that Master did when he arrived was to bring them together and to figure this out. And in the October... 72 issue of Satsandesh, 
There's a picture of Master Kripal going down a darshan line, and next to it it says, the Master is here. And you open the page and it says, a short letter from Master Kripal. Dear brothers and sisters, may my Master's wish, my Master's wish has been granted by His grace. We begin this third world tour in unity. Mr. Khanna and Mr. Serene have agreed to join forces under a corporation that is now already in operation, Ruhani Satsang. Please give them your loving support. In addition to other to the other offices they hold that they hold in the corporation, they will be known as co-representatives working as one unit for the master in the United States. And then there's a letter, <laughs> which I think Master <laughs> made them sit down and write, which then both Reno and Mr. Kana signed, right? <laughs> and um, and that's, that's love and leadership. You know, it's like, let's figure this out. We have this, this isn't right. And, and the other part, as an example of love and action, is the Unity of Man Conference, which this is a souvenir, souvenir program from it. And Master would bring together all these religious leaders, and they all loved him, because he totally accepted each one of them on the level of a human being. And when they would visit him at Sawan Ashram, he was always so gracious. And he'd always have them sitting, either if it's in his the little receiving area, living room, and Master's disciples who were visiting would be there, and these Buddhist priests or um, different different um, holy men would be there. And oftentimes he would say, please, um, give a talk to my disciples. Um, tell them the, the, the message that you have to share. And and I had that experience of looking up at the dais, and here's Master sitting there looking out, and and this fellow that has nothing to do with Sant Mat is giving a talk. And us new disciples would say, what's this all about? <laughs> this, this, you know, that we're going, well, there's a Master, and we're having darshan, and so that's what it's all about. Later on, as I think back, I say, and maybe it occurred to me at the time, but it really hits me now, that that's, that was, I've heard it said that um, one of the most loving things you can do for another person is to ask them their opinion. And beyond that is to say, please give a talk. <laughs> Because he, he's, please share with us what the truth that you have come to know. And, um, and so there's, and I'm sure each of you have memories of being with the Master where some aspect of your observation or interaction with him um, carries those memories. And so not just does the Master come and gives satsang, but he is the living embodiment of what he is asking us to be. And 
And he reminds us that if we are seeing things in the realm of duality, that we're missing it. We're still not there. This is from an excerpt from Master Kripal, Blessed are the poor in spirit. One more thing, there's a growing tendency with some persons to make divisions among the satsangis as to, quote, good satsangis or, quote, bad satsangis. All satsangis are satsangis. And one who has been chosen, called, justified, accepted, and glorified by being linked with the living strands of the life within, the light and the sound of God, the audible life stream, is truly in touch with the truth, with sat, and accordingly is a satsangi. To classify satsangis into good and bad satsangis is hardly justifiable. And I would add to that into any other category that in some small or major way creates a feeling of separation. To classify satsangis into good and bad satsangis is hardly justifiable. For it is said, God first created the light. We are children of this light. The whole creation sprang from one light. Why then dub anyone as evil? This being the case, we are all equal in the sight of God. Whosoever thinks otherwise has, I'm afraid, not yet come by the rudiments of the sacred science. Some may be slow, some may be rapid in their inner development. That is quite a different thing, for each one has his or her particular background and mental makeup as coming from past incarnations. But to give a bad name to any is not justifiable in the least. And if one does that, he shows a bad taste, and the sooner he rids himself of this habit, the better it will be for him and for all concerned. A child is dear to the mother even if he or she is smeared with filth, and the mother washes him off with love and hugs him to herself. So know it for certain that he who feels exalted is abased, and he who humbles himself is exalted. A tree that is laden with flowers and fruits bends with its own weight, while the palm tree that stands tall and erect bears nothing. Again, a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. Be ye truly children of this light. Shed light to others, that they may, that they may take heart and your light prove to be a lamp unto their feet, and that they may not stumble, but are guided on the way to God. For therein lies the duty to God and the, and the power of God, with which you have been united by the grace of the Master Power. If you will live up to these instructions, it will hasten the Master's coming to you, to see you in all loving harmony. So soon you see it is all the manifestation of God. There is no evil in the world. If it appears to be evil, it is due to the smoky or the colored glasses that you're wearing. You will find that if you think in the way that I have just told you, 
then naturally you will have respect for all. You will love all, even your enemies. You might think otherwise, excuse me, they might think otherwise of you, but if you have thrashed out every evil thought within you for everybody, you will see with that angle of vision, which is which the Master gives you, you will see that it is all the manifestation of God, and then naturally, everybody will appear to be beautiful. We should meet all that happens to us with an open mind, happily. Sometimes it so happens that something comes in our way which we think is not good. But that very thing which appears before us is the remedy to set us right, so that we may have something higher. Man learns swimming in water, not on dry land. When you develop that angle of vision, you will have opened your eye to see things in the proper light. You will see that everything is the manifestation of God. And then you are strengthened. So Kabir says, we have the master, we have the master's body, but we've not achieved the real master. We are not getting the power working in the master. We are just after the body of the master. If we get that power that is working in the master, we can understand everything. Before Russell came here, I told them in Ganganagar and this place also that no one should come to me. Only Master knows what he wants. No one can stop people from coming here. No one can tell people that they should come here. For he himself is calling the people here. He himself is talking. He himself is doing the seva. He himself is listening. He himself is explaining. He himself is understanding, and he is the only doer. I had asked Russell to please um, share with me this morning's satsang originally. I was scheduled to do the whole thing, but um, he graciously has accepted, and so leaving some time for Russell and the final bhajan. <laughs> so much for time. Okay. <laughs> 
Master Kripal says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he quotes Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart means that no other thought strikes your mind except God and God alone. No foreign thought. We've often talked and reflected on the words of the Master about angle of vision, changing angle of vision, seeing things from the point of view that the Master sees them. What I, seems to me the simplest way, and we are all struggling with this together, is making his priorities our priorities. What matters to him should matter to us. And not because we it ought to. Not because we are, you know, going to be worse or better off if we do it a certain way, but because it pleases the one we love. For that to be the case. And what pleases the one we love makes us happy. When the Ten Commandments were given, they were preceded by, I am the Lord thy God, who took thee out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. That's the point we see. The Master takes us out of bondage, out of slavery, and he asks us to make his priorities ours. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. He is the doer, always and in everything. I think the, the circular that Don was reading from, which has always been a favorite of mine, so many things the Master says, Masters say, I should say. You know, it's like... Hmm, sorry about that. I could also talk a little louder. Um, you know, because we're all imperfect and we all have terrible shortcomings, which always manifest exactly at the most embarrassing and least opportune moment from our point of view. It's easy to think that we haven't gotten anywhere on the path. And from some points of view, maybe we haven't. We were saying this morning in connection with the initiation instructions that the when we think that we are spiritually advanced, you know, that is precisely when we're most vulnerable to being misled. And that's the truth. That's the way of it. And when we think we are the most loving, when we think we are the 
wisest, when we think we are the most chaste, all like that, that is precisely when, you know, we're ready, ripe for a fall. And it's because we think ourselves like that. Sanji used to tell the story of the, the sadhu who had one disciple. And they went somewhere. <coughs> and the disciple asked him for advice. And the sadhu said, well, son, don't become anything. Don't become anything. He said, I don't know what that means. And he went and he was, they went someplace and he saw a bed that was just there. And he went, he wanted to lie in the bed. So he went and lay in the bed and fell asleep. And the sadhu who was with him slept on the ground under a tree somewhere out of everybody's sight. When the people who, to whom the bed belonged came and found him in it, they woke him up pulled him out and began to beat him for having taken over their bed. And he said, they said, who are you? And he said, well, I'm a sadhu. And they said, you're a sadhu, huh? This is, this is not a way for a sadhu to act. And they beat him up. And when this, this, his guru met him, he said, why, why did they beat you? And he said, I don't know, master. I just, they asked me, well, who I was, and I said I was a sadhu, and they beat me. And he said, well, I told you not to become anything. If you hadn't become a sadhu, they would not have been nearly so angry at you, and they wouldn't have beaten you. So we become these things. You know, we take them on, and they are our baggage. They get in our way. They prevent us from hearing what Master is trying to tell us sometimes. But each... The thing is, with each of us, you know, each person is his or her own person. I mean, that's a truism almost. But on the, the path is the path that we each have to walk. Master Kripal used to say, and Sanchi used to quote him, you know, this is your own personal work. This is the work that only you have to do. Nobody else can do it. Nobody can do it for you, and you can't do it for anybody else. Even the Master is there to take the burden for us, but he can't do the work for us. We have to do the work. And each one of us has to do that for him or herself, and each one of us has to be clear in his or her heart what it is that he or she is doing. It is not a question, Master Kripal used to say, it's not a question of voting, you see. And it's not a question of good satsangis and bad satsangis. There's no such thing. There are only souls whom the Master loves. That's all that there are. That's all that there is in the world, is souls that the Master loves. If we make mistakes, we miss the point, or we forget, or both. We miss the point, we forget who we really are, and we bring upon ourselves a lot of things. But, you know, his love is always there. And he will forgive us. He does forgive us. He is so insistent on our forgiving others because he wants to forgive us. The more we forgive, the easier it is for him to forgive us. He says, if we aren't willing to forgive the God in others, 
How do we expect the God in others to forgive us? So we have to, and we're not perfect, and we do fail, and we make mistakes, and we do miss the point, and we do forget, and we do it over and over and over again. All of us, including me, me more than most maybe, or we may all think that. But whatever it is, the fact is that we know that we have a long way to go. And what it does not matter, as Master used to say, quoting Kabir, if you have a long way to go and you fall down and you pick yourself up, at least you have moved the body length further. You know, there's something to that. So we don't know. When Sanji was here and he left, actually a number of the final talks that he gave had to do with situations occurring which it was impossible for the people in them to understand. When he was in, in the, the last talk that he gave in North America in 1996 in Acton, when he's told that story about the, um, the, the master who lived near a village and uh, everything went wrong in the village. The fires all went out, all the dogs and uh, animals died, roosters, and uh, crops failed. Everything, absolute disaster. And everyone kept going, each time something happened, people would go to him and he would say, well, it's the will of God. Nothing we can do about it. And they finally said, what's the point of going to a master like this? No matter what happens, he says, it's the will of God. And then uh, somebody came through bent on conquering and laying waste the countryside. And that village was already laid waste to. So he left it alone. Saw no smoke coming. He heard no dogs barking, no roosters crowing. Said, there's nobody there. And went on. And everyone was saved. And there's a story, too, that is told from China in the Taoist tradition of a farmer whose horse ran away. And everyone said, oh, that's rotten luck. And the farmer said, well, no, how do I know it's bad luck? And the next day, his horse came back, bringing a herd of wild horses with him, which, of course, came into the farmer's farm, and the gates were closed behind them, and he now had a whole bunch of horses. And everyone said, wow, what good luck. You've got now such a great herd of horses. And he said, well, how do I know it's good luck? And his son was trying to tame one of the horses and make them tame, whatever, you know. And uh, the horse threw him and he broke his leg. But he was in great pain and everybody said, oh, such terrible luck. And the farmer said, well, how do I know it's bad luck? And shortly after that, the local warlord sent out a notice of everybody of draft age had to join his army and go fighting. And because the son had his leg broken, he couldn't go. So we don't know. There's also the story of the man who won the year's reprieve from prison for promising to teach the king's horse how to fly. So what did you do that for? You can't teach the king's horse how to fly. He said, well, who knows? A year is a long time, and maybe a year has gone by, the king may die, I may die, or maybe I can teach the horse to fly. Something might happen. 
We don't know. This is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. You take a hold of the infinite with our little finger. Master Kripal used to say, God comes and extends his little finger to us, and we take hold of it, and then he leads us. And all we can see is the little finger, which is all we can see of the infinite, sticking out so that we can grab hold of it. That's what the Master does for us. And it is for us, you know, and there is only a now. There is no past and there is no future. When we think in those terms, it's like Don was reading, then we are thinking in terms of duality. There is only the here and now. The love of God is the reality. Anything that stands in the way of that is a nuisance, but it's not necessarily anything other than the smoke-colored glasses that we are wearing, like Master was saying in the thing that was read. And there is another old story, which I first saw in a comic book when I was a little kid, and then I heard Master tell it later. I was astonished. Some of these stories, where they come from and what kind of consciousness they originate from. There's a comic with Mutt and Jeff. Some of you may remember Mutt and Jeff, a tall guy and a short guy. And uh, Jeff is uh, looking under the under a lamppost on a street, and he's hunting around and around, and Mutt comes along and sees him, and he says, what are you doing? He says, I've lost my watch. I'm looking for it. Mutt says, oh, okay. And he gets down on his knees, hands and knees, and he helps with him. They go around and around the lamppost, and he says, gee, I don't see it anywhere. You sure you lost it here? And Jeff says, oh, I didn't lose it here. I lost it down the block. And Mutt says, well, why are you looking here? He says, because the light's better here. <laughs> and that is, Master told this story, because that is the way that oftentimes we work, you know. The light's better here, so we prefer it. There's a lot of, you know, the Master loves us, and he knows ahead of time all the mistakes we're going to make. He knows exactly how much damage we're going to do by the mistakes we make. He knows how much hurt we're going to cause each other. He knows how much damage we are going to do in the world. And he loves us anyway. You will notice that he initiated us anyway, or brought us into his protection. He loves us anyway, and we should love each other anyway. It doesn't matter how wrong we are. How mistaken we may be, we can be very mistaken, but we are still children of God. And when Master was here in 63, this is of course a bygone era now, but the Cold War was going on and Kennedy was president. It was just a month before he was assassinated and he had just signed the nuclear test ban treaty. And Master said, you know, thank God the treaty has been signed. And when someone asked him about communists, which at that time were the villains that everyone was talking about. He said, they are the children of God too. They are ignorant. That's all. You don't not, a father, a mother does not love her children because of the mistakes that they make. There's tons of mistakes. We all make them. We're all weak. Really the only strength in the world, in my opinion, is the strength of the master. 
Whatever strength any of us has, we have derived it from him. And that is true of anybody in the whole world. The strength, real strength, comes from the heart of hearts, which is the core of the universe, which is love, which is manifest in the person of the living master, which is the word made flesh. And that strength, the degree to which we can tap into that, is the degree to which we have it. Remember what Sanchi says about fear. You know, that fear, to be afraid of anything, is the greatest sin of all. And the principle of Santmat is this. We don't intimidate anyone, and we don't allow anyone to intimidate us. If we, we're not supposed to be afraid of anyone, and we don't make anyone afraid of us. We leave fear alone. We work from love. There is nothing gained by forcing people, manipulating people, talking people into things, making people do something they really don't want to do. We do this stuff all the time. All of us do it. We can't help it. It's built into our human nature. But it is not Master's way. And I have seen this over and over again. The Master does not want to tell someone the Master prefers not to hurt people, not to hurt their feelings, rather than tell the truth to them if it is going to hurt them. And that's the way he is. And if we, we want to be differently, there's a story that I know many of us have heard um, of um, when Baba Jamal Singh was the Master of a disciple who saw, a fellow disciple, both of them were initiated by Baba Jamal Singh, and he saw him riding in the back of a tanga, which is a little horse cart in India drawn by a horse, and it's like tilted backwards, so that when you're sitting in it, you're facing backwards, and you're almost looking toward the ground. It's a very interesting kind of vehicle. And it's very easy to talk to somebody sitting in it. You can walk along behind them and talk to them as though you were walking with them. And... Um, he saw this fellow sitting in a tanga, drinking wine with his arm around a prostitute. And he got so upset, and he ran after him, and he said, How can you do it? Do you know you are a master of such a, you are the disciple of such a great master as Baba Jamal Singh? And you are, you are doing something like this? How can you do that? What's the matter with you? And the guy said, Well, yes, I am the disciple of a great master like Baba Jamal Singh, and he is great enough so that he will forgive me. And the guy didn't know what to make of that. The tanga went off, and the guy went to see Babaji. And Babaji said, yes, he's right. I forgive him. I forgive him easier than you. Because to judge others for something is worse than the thing itself. It is of the utmost importance that we leave judgment to someone who is competent to judge. You know, Mahatma Gandhi said, do we fight to change things or to punish? You know, as for me, I am such, I think we are all such sinners, we'd better leave punishment to God. And we can try to change things, but we don't need to punish anybody. So, this is, you know, people, If I may conclude on a semi-personal note, anyway, I, uh, one never knows what one's getting into. 
And when I became, you know, a seeker after truth, now 50 odd years ago, it seems, 1957, whatever that is, not quite 50 years, uh, 44 years, I guess, I, um, I really didn't know what I was getting into, how it would take over and become my whole life. You know? And I have loved it. You know, the Master is love. And he has shown me everything, really. He has shown me everything I needed to know. He has shown me the life and the teachings of Jesus, as I put mentioned in one of the books. He showed me when he changed his form and became a jail. And I have felt that I've always been in his care, and he's taking care of me. And I'm speaking personally, but I know that this is not just me. I mean, people, we all have experience just like this. There's an old gospel hymn, you know, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And he talks about how he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And of course, if that were literally true, who could sing the hymn? You know? But we, in fact, that's how we feel that we are protected in a very personal and unique way. And that's the greatness and beauty of the Master is that we are. We are protected and nurtured and taken care of in a very unique and personal way. It's the beauty of the path. Each one of us, we walk the path by ourselves. We have to, in this talk, blessed are the pure in heart, he says that we have to come to him all alone. What does that mean? It means that when we are in the, in, the, in the nakedness of our heart, you know, when we stand before him, nothing that we carry with us, no people, no relatives, no friends, no enemies, no possessions, no desires, no fears, nothing that we carry, no identifications, none of that is with us. We are absolute naked soul standing in front of absolute naked love. And that is what the reality is. When we do that, we are at the core of the universe. And that is what, you know, we are after. And it's like we do that some and we fall back, and we do it some and we fall back. And that's okay. That's the way Master works. We pick ourselves up, we move along. We pick ourselves up, we move along. Body length further along each time. So it's, as long as we can remember that the way that Master relates to us is the way of love, that he does not order us, force us, compel us, show us in such a way that we have to believe. It's like, you know, a lot of times people think, in the case of, say, Jesus, that the, you know, the thing that convinced people that he was a Master was the resurrection. But that isn't true at all. The only people who ever saw the resurrected Jesus were the people who already loved him. 
The only people who see the Master within are the people who already love him, who love him enough to go where he is. And if, you know, we were to say, well, the way the path should work is the Master should appear in his radiant form to everybody, and then they would know that's not the way it works. The Master doesn't work that way. He works by producing the love, which then produces results. The love comes first, and then other things follow. And when seek ye first the kingdom of God means first we have to love. Okay. And the thing about it, just like all the way to heaven is heaven, because of the nature of the way and the nature of the goal, so it is that whatever we love is love. You know, the fact of our loving, if the love is genuine and real and selfless and non-egotistical, then it doesn't matter who we love. You know, the love itself is transfiguring. There's a famous story in C.S. Lewis's Narnia books that I know a lot of us have read in the, uh, the last book. The, I forget the name of it, but um, something about the last battle. Yeah, the last battle. Um, there is a, you know, the false god, the false Aslan has come, and all of the disciples are uh, wondering whether to go to him or not. And there is uh, everything, you know, things come to a head, and the real Aslan comes, and this and that. And there is this guy who is a follower of the false god Tash, and he is absolutely, he loves Tash with all his heart. He's absolutely sincere and convinced. And he goes through the portal and he finds himself in the presence of Aslan, even though he went in expecting to see Tash. And Aslan says to him, you know, there is no Tash, but you loved Tash in such a way that the love you had for him all came to me. So you are with me. Because what counted was what you did. It's the same kind of thing. If we love when Master's children, you know, the disciples of the Master, when other people love them, the love that they have for them goes right through them and goes to the Master so that it's counted as love for the Master. So the more lovable we are, and the more, the easier it is for people to love us, and the more we love, the more we are doing His will, and the more his message and his what he, his priorities will be spread in the world, regardless of you know what labels or names we put on things. So, this is what I think the master cares about. And God knows people. We are all on the way. We we'll all fall down. You know, none of us know any more than anyone else. Really, nobody is responsible for anyone else. Each one of us stands before the Master, him or herself, and um, that's our privilege. That's our privilege and that's our faith. And whatever we are is what we will, we will, do, we will have and we will do and we will get and we will be. And that's what, that's what we're after. Alright. God bless. Uh, lunch is...
stream already, so I think, Terry, you're out of luck. <laughs> On the last budget, we're passing out some more Prashad right now. Well, there's a schedule that the lodge likes to keep, and we're already behind it, so we should eat. So if they want to sing, uh, and we'll eat at the same time, that would be good. <laughs> Thank you. 